0: Welcome to the latest podcast from The Lancet. I'm Richard Lane and it's Friday, November the 11th. This podcast comes to you from New York City. We're in the United States because of the election and what an extraordinary, dramatic election it has been. And I'm joined on the line by Dr. David Himmelstein for this podcast. David, welcome. You're a health policy expert. We want to talk a lot about healthcare, But I mean, first of all, we've got to talk about the extraordinary night that was tuesday evening can i get your reaction to the election did you have any sense that this might happen well we were
1: worried that it might happen after brexit and other events elsewhere and frankly uh trump's performance in the primaries which gave some clue that the polls might be off so i didn't expect it but i was worried that it might happen
0: if you just put the news on i was listening to cnn this morning in my hotel room one of the first things that people are talking about post-election is what is Trump going to do? And one of the first things you hear mentioned is he's going to do what he said has pledged to do, which is to repeal and replace Obamacare. So before we go into some of the nitty-gritty of what that might mean, as a health policy expert, and you've been working in this field for many, many years, you must feel despondent.
1: Well, we would made some progress. Surely the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, fell short of what we might have hoped for, but to simply roll it back, which is really the only idea that we've heard from Trump thus far. He says he's going to replace it, but we have no sense of what he's going to replace it with. Rolling it back will be a health policy and public health disaster, I fear.
0: Before the election, I tuned into a Republican rally, which... Trump was speaking at, but the person who did most of the talking was Mike Pence, who's obviously going to be vice president, we assume. And the, at this Republican rally, this was on November the 1st, which was the first day of the latest enrollment sessions for the Affordable Care Act for the insurance markets. Each Republican, but particularly Mike Pence, were very, very strong that Obamacare was something that was wrong in their eyes, and they wanted to return to what Mike Pence referred to as the good old American way of doing things. In other words, for health care, letting the private market take it out. Is that really what is, is going to happen? Because just the legal framework of creating the Affordable Care Act, which of course underpins Obamacare, to undo that would be a massive operation. Surely whatever they come up with, the Republicans next year, they're going to have to retain some elements of the Affordable Care Act, aren't they?
1: Well, they've said they'll retain a few of the peripheral aspects of the Affordable Care Act. But its essence, we fear and think, um, they plan to simply do away with. And basically, that would throw uh, about 20 million people out of insurance that they've newly acquired since the Affordable Care Act. We should say that even after the Affordable Care Act, about 29 million people remain uninsured in the U.S. So adding 20 million to that would bring us back to the 49 million or so that were uninsured before the Affordable Care Act was passed. And that's, I would say, unacceptable. But apparently, Mr. Trump and Mr. Pence are prepared to accept it.
0: So do you actually think, I mean, this is a, this is a key question that, that's in the news media this, this morning, we do appreciate it's only just over 24 hours since we've had the election result. Is your expectation that the 20 million people who are brought into insurance through Obamacare are going to lose their rights? They're actually going to reverse that rather than say, okay, well, you guys have got it, but we'll make changes for any future changes to the insurance markets?
1: Well, we don't really know, but I fear that that is what they have in mind. Much of the additional coverage was from an expansion of, of the Medicaid program, which is the program that's administered by our state governments for very poor people. And the federal government under Obamacare had given very large additional funds to the state governments to expand the coverage of the Medicare program to not just very poor people, but to people with incomes up to 133 percent of the poverty line. That brought in some 10 or 12 million additional people. We don't know yet what they're going to do, but their promise is that they're going to roll it back. Now, some of the Republicans have said in the past that what they want to do is just give a block of money to the state governments and let them do what they like with it for Medicaid or use it for other uses Um, so some states may continue the coverage expansion under the Obamacare plan others in fact have refused it up till now and still others are likely to roll it back.
0: One of the biggest problems with the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, as far as I could see, uh, uh, as a non-American from outside, was the way it was implemented. They had some terrible bumpy things along the way, didn't it? Just the launch of the insurance market was, was a disaster with the internet systems not working. But more importantly, over and above that, and this was the political fuel that the Republicans were almost rubbing their hands with glee with at the rally in, in Philadelphia last week, with the rising prices of premiums, because the insurance companies couldn't get enough people to enroll in the program. So even though the Affordable Care Act had very laudable aims to extend its reach, and it did to 20 million people, its implementation has been deeply flawed, hasn't it?
1: Well, the program was deeply flawed for- From the outset, it was enormously complex and really represented a compromise that was pushed by the insurance industry. Most of the additional coverage was uh, purchased through private insurance plans and increased the revenues given to private insurers. The structure of the program in order to try and make it work was tremendously complex. And that's what really created the disorder in its startup, because trying to to enroll people in hundreds of different plans around the country, each with differing offers of coverage and exactly what their deductibles, the amount that one must pay before the insurance kicks in, how much the deductibles were going to be varied from plan to plan, how much the co-payments, how much you pay uh, in addition to the insurance at each visit, those things varied. So there was tremendous complexity really baked into the program. It's quite striking in contrast to our Medicare program, which is the single-payer program for the elderly, a federal government program, which started up some 10 months after its passage by the Congress back in the 1960s, before we even had any computers, and they enrolled 99% of all eligible people within that 10-month window without any notable um, glitches or confusion. So it's quite clear that the structure of Uh, Obamacare was deeply flawed from the outset. And as you say, the prices of the insurance rose quite steeply because they relied largely on market forces. And I think I'm not alone in saying that the market doesn't actually work in healthcare. And we know that the U.S., which has the most market-oriented of healthcare systems, has by far the highest cost of our healthcare system. And it's no surprise that the costs rose uh, partly because sicker people were the ones who took up the offer of the new coverage and they're the most expensive
0: people. I mean just philosophically with a Republican approach to health care are there any elements of Obamacare that could be retained? I have heard mentioned that not refusing insurance to people with pre-existing conditions, this was a really key tenant of of Obamacare. I have heard that that's going to be retained with whatever the new Republican health plan is. And of course, we don't know what it is yet.
1: Yeah, you're right that they've said they want to retain not quite exactly the uh, proviso that one can't be refused coverage, no matter one. pre-existing health uh, condition, what they've said is, as long as you maintain health insurance without interruption, you would not be able to be refused a renewal of your health insurance coverage. Now, that's a considerable departure, in fact, because a lot of people have very temporary interruptions of their their health insurance if they're traveling overseas or studying elsewhere, or or, uh, in in the case of of one of my children, actually, there was a one-day interruption Um, when she became too old to be covered under my policy and her new policy through her university had yet to start up. So that kind of interruption would would exempt the insurance companies from having to issue coverage no matter what your health.
0: And given your role uh, for many years, your advocacy work, looking at a, a single-payer system, which I know you, you, your view is, is, is I think, based on the Canadian system, isn't it? Are any discussions now about universal health coverage within this new American system, political system that we're going to have from the beginning of next year, Think, talk of things like a public option and universal health coverage, are these discussions now dead in the water, do you think?
1: We have yet to really see. Certainly among people in the the healthcare fields, they're not dead because we see the the problems each day of a healthcare system, which has both uh, large numbers of people uninsured and growing numbers who have coverage but still can't afford care. I guess the New York Times featured an article some months ago about many people who've gotten Obamacare coverage couldn't afford to use it because it carried such high deductibles often five thousand dollars before your insurance began to pay for anything we have in fact a, a crisis of not just uninsured americans but insured americans who can't afford care and that crisis is not going to go away in fact it's likely to get worse under the trump administration so i i doubt that the discussion will long be squelched about uh, what to do about our healthcare system. Oddly enough, at one point in the past, Mr. Trump himself suggested that a single payer reform might be a useful thing. He later went back on that as he's gone back on many of the things that he said. We're not sure what direction debate will take, but we're quite sure that debate about the need Really urgent need for reform will continue, and frankly, surveys show uh, quite an oddity in opinion in the U.S. So, even among Republicans, the vast majority favored repeal of Obamacare, but some one-third favor implementation of a single-payer program. So that sentiment for single-payer is quite widely shared across the the spectrum. It's about 75 percent of Democrats and 30 percent of Republicans, but overall, the the vast vast majority of the American people would want that kind of reform. We'll see if Washington can be shaken up enough to really give it serious consideration. In the meantime, people in many states around the country are moving forward to, to think about what can be done at an individual state level to improve the health care system. In New York State, where I now live, our, um, one branch of our legislature actually passed a single-payer reform proposal last year, though the other branch demurred.
0: That's fascinating. That 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 notion and, and slight slight tautology, isn't it, uh, or irony about the support in in many quarters for a single payer system? Would that be therefore logically just be an extension of Medicaid?
1: More likely, an extension of our Medicare program, which is a, frankly a much more successful program than Medicaid. Medicare is a program for all of the elderly, and as with really. Many universal programs, they tend to be better better maintained than programs that segregate the poor into a separate class of care.
0: Final question, David. We don't yet know who is going to be the cabinet minister for health, do we? Health and human services. Do you have any idea who that might be? And even if you don't, what role is there for advocacy organizations, experts like yourself to to potentially influence the future direction for health policy via the government department, health and human services?
1: We have no sense yet of of whom Trump will choose for Health and Human Services Secretary. But surely there will be intense advocacy efforts in the the months ahead. We know from past research that something like a thousand people die each year for every million people who are uninsured. So uninsurance remains one of our major causes of death. And if they do indeed throw 20 million people out of coverage, we expect... Uh, about 20,000 additional deaths each year. That's a public health emergency that we can scarcely ignore. And I think advocates at all levels will surely join, join efforts in a very vigorous way to try and move our healthcare system forward. We, at this point, may not be able to move back to the ACA, but we're hopeful that we could move forward to something even better. I mean, we've already seen on the streets of cities around the country the deep concerns of Americans who didn't vote for Trump. And frankly, among the many people who did vote for Trump, we're likely to see very grave concerns arise as the reality of the Trump administration emerges. We know that among white middle-aged people of lower income who were largely Trump voters, Their death rates are rising in this country, and many of them can't get the care they need. We know that medical bankruptcy is extraordinarily common among people with insurance, and those problems are likely to get worse, not better. And I think that provides a a very strong basis for advocacy for change. We may see a, a few months of hiatus in real debate, but it will emerge again.
0: Well, it's a fascinating discussion, David, and I'm very grateful for your time so soon after the election result. Dr. David Himmelstein, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet.
1: Thank you.